0: Scripture reading for today is Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 13, chapter 4, 13 through 17. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman, Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin." He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, this last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night. And in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good. Let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Rico, go. Thank you, George, for doing the reading. It's... Um Yes, well, I gave you the long version there, but it's, it's a lot to catch up because Ruth is one of those stories that preachers love. Um, mainly because there are some scriptures that you have to delve into deep theological waters. Some scriptures you've got to grab and pull from other places and pieces and parts. But for Ruth, you simply have to tell the story. And that's it. It's, it's so powerful. I encourage you, if you um, have not read Ruth... Highly recommend it. Uh, it's only four chapters. Those chapters are very short. It would take you from 7 to 11 minutes tops. So, And if you don't like to read, uh, the, the Bible app on your phone will read it to you. So before you even have the chance to walk around the block once, yeah, uh, you finish the story of Ruth. It's, it's rich. It's rich. And uh, it's rich because it tells ordinary lives of ordinary people. And God seems to step back, but yet God is in the mix uh, all along the way, so much so that it reminds me of a saying, and I may date some of you uh, with this, including myself, but see if you know this phrase. As the sounds of the hourglass, so are the... Hey, you heard this. <laughs> Love it. That, that's Ruth. That's Ruth. Um, last week, we were both... Um, Bruce and Julie preached about Ruth 1, and Ruth 1, oh, that's, yeah, that's a gimme to a preacher. They could stand up any day and just go for an hour on that one, just because of Ruth's faithfulness. I mean, uh, so let's pick up. Uh, Here we are with a story. Naomi decided to return home from Moab after the death of her husband and her sons. Uh, Along the way, uh, Ruth and Orpah decide to go with Naomi but Naomi's like wait a minute Mm-mm. it's going to be a rough road god does not he's not with me anymore come with me god won't be with you either it's going to be a rough ride but ruth says this amazing statement it's so amazing that it's it's said at weddings it's lifted up throughout ruth says this no 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 you don't understand Naomi i will go where you will go your people will be my people Your God is my God. I mean, that's just boom. And that's when Naomi goes, all right, you're with me. (laughs) So so they make their choice and they head back. However, there's some danger with this. Uh, Because there's the danger. Naomi might find some support. Um, She was older, might find a family who might take her in because that's only one. But Ruth presented a problem. Not only was she a Moabite, she was a foreigner. She was also a much younger woman and which created this problem. Um, Remember this wasn't a time where there were any form of social security or medicare. The only safety net was the family and if the family couldn't provide, you were on your own. Ruth's only hope was marriage. Um, After all, she was a foreigner. She was a young woman, so very vulnerable to the things of that time. However, Naomi had one thing that she knew. There's a custom, even a law which said one's nearest kinsman had a responsibility to marry a woman who had lost her husband and produce an heir for that person. It's called levirate right marriage. Um, and it's, to be honest, it's foreign concept uh, and practice to most of us, uh, much like arranged marriages. Uh, they were like, whoa, we prefer to make our own matches with the help of computers, right? So um, so for her Naomi, however, this seemed to be the only way of providing for Ruth and herself. So she begins to plot a strategy. Uh, very surprisingly, the story immediately introduces us to a male relative of Naomi's, a kinsman on her husband's side. And it uses that word specifically because kinsman means, hey, he can fulfill the duties according to the Leviite uh, law. A man named Boaz. We learn that Boaz seems to be wealthy. He's not married, he doesn't have children, he's a close relative. So in other words, he checks all the boxes for israelitesonly.com, right? So so yeah. By the time we encounter them in chapter 3, we learn that Boaz has already seemed interested in the welfare of Ruth. Um, He allows Ruth the opportunity to glean from within the fields. Now, if you're not familiar with this, here's what it meant, is if you were harvesting your field, you were supposed to purposely leave the edges for those that, well, for the widow and the orphan and the outcast, so that they could glean around the edges, so they could work to help feed themselves. Well, being a small town, Boaz immediately went, okay, there's no We've, we, we know, you know, but Ruth, who's that? And... Uh, recognize her so much, he even invites her to the supper to inquire a little bit more. So he tells his men, his workers, say, look, watch out for her, protect her. They even took out some bundles of the wheat and left in the middle of the field so that she can glean from the good stuff, you know. Because the, the stuff on the edges, that's the stuff that the weeds have allowed to kind of creep in a little bit a lot of times as well. Now, at the third chapter that uh, we started off with, this is the time that all the gathering has been done. And Naomi starts to begin to instruct Ruth on the, uh, you know, she's about to go according, you might say. Uh, because here's what happens. At the end of the harvest, they gather at the threshing floor during the, har- doing the hard we- work of separating everything, packing it up, getting ready to put it away. Um, and then there's a celebration. There's food, there's drinking, and, well, Naomi meant, right, look, everybody's going to be out. Most likely Boaz, who's watching over everyone else, will be the last one, so he may be still a little bit restless. So Naomi prepares Ruth. Here's what I want you to do. Wash up, put on your best clothes, go out to the threshing floor, and wait until Boaz goes to sleep. Then, while he's sleeping, she is to uncover his feet and lie down next to him. And Boaz will tell you what to do next. I should note that uncovering feet is a euphemism. Nudge, nudge, wink, to say no more. All right? So, uh, um, Ruth will signal to Boaz that she is willing to be his wife. Uh, now, here's what's going on here: is Naomi is putting Ruth in a very vulnerable position. It seems to know what she's doing. And although this seems a well-choreographed, normal form of courtship, as for modern-day application, I do not recommend it. So, but, <laughs> however, we're surprised that the next thing that happened is, well, there's something surprising. Boaz is startled and said, who's there? And Ruth answers. Ruth replies with this response. It is Ruth, your companion. Uh, not as the, the NRSV, interesting enough, translated as servant. And, and it could mean that, but most all of the Hebrew Bibles translated it as companion, which connotates something else. It meant equal. It also meant, one, that there's, you know, we've, we've got a further understanding than you think. Um, now, Ruth could have easily done what Naomi asked and then said, you know, hey, what's your bidding? And listen for Boaz's response. But this is Ruth. This is Ruth. This is the woman who said, I will go where you go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God the one who is risking her life and reputation to glean from a man she does not know, who comes to a threshing floor at midnight with that same near stranger, risking life and reputation again. Do you imagine that she will now allow Boaz to tell her what to do? (laughs) I think not, and she does not. Instead, she tells Boaz this, spread your cloak over your companion because you are next of kin. I don't know about you, but that is definitely a marriage proposal right there. (laughs) It may not be the one that we're used to, (laughs) because she says, look, your cloak, which has the same translation as your wing over me, protects me because you are next of kin. Letting Boaz know that, look, this is your duty. Boaz immediately responds with telling her that she is a good woman. Now, for the Israelites' readers of this day and even still today, when they hear that of you are a good woman, immediately everyone's mind should go to Proverbs 31, You know the very description of what a good woman is. And Boaz recognized that. He recognizes it so much that his is what he does the next day. The next day, he knows that there's a man that's a closer relative. Now, I imagine... This being a small town, and if you've ever been to a small town, you know that gossip spreads quicker than Facebook, right? So so most likely, this guy, who's the closer relative, knew that already. He's just not so sure what to do. So Boaz gathers at the gate, gathers some men of of good reputation along as witnesses to that. And then I love the translation. uh, The word that's used is almani. Uh, It's translated sometimes as friend, but the literal translation means, hey, you. So so Boaz goes, hey, you. In other words, he's not even worthy to have a name in scripture because this is what he does. Boaz says, look, Naomi, as right for heritage, has some land. Could you buy that? And with that, you assume the responsibilities thereof. And hey, you goes, oh, wait a minute. That means that if I die, that land will go to her son not my sons. I I don't know about that. And Boaz says, thank you, you've made my point. And Boaz is established not just marrying a good woman, but Ruth is marrying a good man. Immediately we're told that they are blessed with a child. She quickly becomes pregnant, gives birth to a child named Obed, father of Jesse, father of David, Israelite's greatest king which is interesting enough that all the way through to the lineage of Jesus. Um, And although it might seem that God takes a behind-the-scenes role, and there's constantly mention of God, Naomi talks about God, Ruth talks about God, even when the marriage they talk about how God, and even the narrator of Ruth talks about how now she has been blessed, even to afterwards, God is a little bit silent. And that's what I mean, that this is an ordinary tale about our lives. You know, the messiness of our lives, we sometimes wonder where is God here and where is God there. And yet, if you look at Ruth, God may have been unseen, but God is so not absent. God is everywhere, communicating this faithfulness that God does not abandon God's people, that God often works to the most unlikely people, outsiders, strangers, outcasts. And what's even more, um, there's this blessing that's done throughout. Um, and unless we're, we, we, we miss it, though, the word direct word is called hesed, which means loving kindness. It's the Old Testament's version of grace that is used all throughout um, the New Testament a lot of times. And hesed meant something like this. It was, it, was, um, a, it was something that was granted by someone who had power to someone who needed their help. So in other words, it's not something that you had an innate talent for. It's not something you were born with. It was something you were given. And a lot of times you were given it regardless of what you have done, in spite of what you have done. Um, In fact, in the story of Ruth, it says they found grace uh, in their eyes. And if you found grace in someone's eyes, it meant that they affirmed you. They accepted you. They supported you. They sheltered you. You gave their protection and approval. Yeah. Doesn't that sound amazing? Powerful. And in the Bible, most often than not, it is God who is the giver of grace. In fact, it's one of the things that defined God for the Jewish people. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow the anger and abounding in steadfast love. Again and again, when they were in need, they cried out to God for grace Psalm 25, turn to me and be gracious for me, God, for I am lonely and afflicted. In the New Testament, we found the most powerful version right off from the start when the angel Gabriel turns and says, Hail Mary, full of grace. Yeah. Uh, John 1.14, Jesus became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. What's powerful is as we celebrate this All Saints Day with these sands, we we think our sands of the hourglass are turning upon us, but we forget that God's presence is both like the glass that has formed the hourglass, and the air, is in between each sand. And it's easy to miss the way that God is working and moving in and amongst our lives. Not only that, when the story of Ruth, that faithfulness is extended. To the next generation and the next and the next on down the line. Things that we in our lifetime will never see or know. And it's sometimes hard. It's sometimes easier said than done to grasp that and to take hold of that grace. Because the disappointments and betrayals we encounter in this life often damage our ability to trust. Um, If we're lucky, there'll be people in our lives whose love we can rely on. But some people I've experienced struggle, at least some of the time, to believe they really are acceptable and accepted. For some, it's even a lifelong battle to feel secure. Why should anyone, let alone God, be with us and for us? According to the Bible, that's the message which Christ lived and died to to promise. For us to proclaim... Especially if we call ourselves disciples, which literally means learners. And this is the most important lesson we need to learn. It's the knowledge of God's grace, His loving acceptance of us. Saints and sinners, one and the same. His loving acceptance all of us with all of our faults and failings. That gives us the confidence and courage to speak gracious words to others. Even when they hurt us, insult us, let us down, misunderstand, or ignore us. Because if I know anything, it's this. The world surely needs as many gracious words as it can hear today. Uh, So today, uh, on this All Saints Sunday, we give thanks for the gracious words of God. For the way that God moved through the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz... And then to Obed and Jesse and David and Jesus and to us. That we may give those words of comfort to others. To know that God is working, I think even and especially in those times when you cannot see. Um, So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and evermore. Amen Amen and amen. One of the things I, I love to lift up for all saints is this, is um, when we approach the table, um, John Wesley um, had this uh, wonderful uh, notion that at the table uh, and at communion, and just to let you know, if you did not gather uh, some of the communion elements, please let some of the hosts know, and they'll, they'll uh, bring it to you, let them know. Um, but he believed this, that when we take communion together, we do not do it alone that we do it with all the saints who have gone before us, who are present right here in this moment. To me, that, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful so that when we, we take together, we don't do it with just us here. But yeah, uh, for, uh, yeah for Joanne and Conrad and for the, so many other names, the ones throughout this community, that were saints in their own ways to us for the love of God.